What's up my self-improvement family? It's Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. Put your seatbelt on and get comfy because it's time for another self-improvement sit-down. On these self-improvement sit-downs, we spend time with people who are world leaders and ask them to share their expertise and go deep into their craft. If you want the typical two-minute personal development tip that I share on weekdays, then you're out of luck until tomorrow because we're doing this now. Today's conversation is particularly relevant to personal development because it's all about how we can reduce distractions. And consequently, by reducing distractions, we enable ourselves to be more productive and to do more with our lives. Today's guest is a leader on the topic and someone I truly admire. His name is Nir Eyal, and he has a new book called Indistractable coming out super soon, September 10th. What's it all about? Well, we're about to touch on it. Time for self-improvement sit-down number nine with Nir Eyal. And we are live. I'm absolutely honored to have today's guest. Today, I'm joined by Nir Eyal, and Nir is the guy when it comes to behavioral design marketing. He's even been labeled as the prophet of habit-forming technology. Nir is probably best known as the author of the bestseller Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and is very soon releasing his new book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And that is going to be the focus of this conversation. He also continues to produce on his blog, Near and Far, and teaches at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. For me, this is a huge opportunity because Near's work has absolutely changed my life, and I am so grateful for another opportunity to learn some more. So Nir, thanks so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you, Brian. It's an honor to be here with you. Right. So I just, I want to jump right into the meat of it because there's so much good information in this book and we have so little time. I want to just get to it. So just a little context. I was fortunate enough to read a pre-release copy of his new book, Indistractable, and it absolutely blew my mind. The book is just laced with high quality information and it's all centralized around productivity and efficiency, which I find perfectly fitting on a personal development podcast. So here we are. But first, Nir, if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing about the inspiration behind the book and how you even started noticing that distraction was a real problem that needed to be addressed. Yeah. So so the, the inspiration for Indistractable came out of my experience uh, having written Hooked, right? I wrote this book uh, that's this manual for creating habit-forming products. And when I wrote the book, you know, the, the, the book is now about five years old. It came out in 2014. And, and uh, when I wrote the book, the, the idea behind Hooked was to help companies and, and startup entrepreneurs and founders build the kind of products to build healthy habits in people's lives, right? I didn't write it for Facebook and the gaming companies and Twitter and Instagram. Like they, they already know these techniques they have for years and years. What I wanted to do was to, mo- to democratize those techniques so that we can build the kind of products that help people live better lives. And that's exactly what's happened. So, you know, I've invested in many of these companies and I hear from companies that, that write into me telling me they've used the hook model. And, you know, it's companies that have helped people exercise more and uh, uh, be more productive at work and save money. And, you know, that's really the kind of products that I, I love to work with. And that's why I wrote the book, because I, I know how hard it is to change behavior, right? To change your customer's behavior uh, is not an easy task. And uh, as an entrepreneur myself, I, I started and sold two companies. Uh, I know how difficult that that is. And so I didn't see a book about how to build healthy habits in customers' lives. And so I decided to write it. And so that was the very same inspiration when it came to Indistractable. Because 
shortly after Hooked was published, I noticed that I was having trouble uh, controlling my attention. And in a way, my life felt out of control as well as a result. Um, I, I remember this one particular occasion that really spurred me to action was when I was with my daughter. And uh, we were we had this afternoon together where we could uh, – we had this book of activities that daddies and daughters could do together. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I wish I could tell you what she said in that moment, but I can't uh, because I wasn't paying attention. I was on my phone, uh, and she got the message that my phone was more important than she was. And so she left the room. And I didn't even notice that she left. <laughs> I just looked up for my phone, and she was gone. And so that's when I realized, wow, this is this is a problem. If, if I'm having uh, trouble with distraction, uh, you know, I'm guessing many other people do as well. And, and I understand how these products are built, right? I wrote the book on how companies get you hooked. So that's when I decided I really need to figure this out for myself. So I did what I always do when I, when I, uh, you know, have a problem, uh, I go read, <laughs> right? I do research on, on how to fix it. And, uh, I bought a bunch of books on the topic, uh, you know, dozens of books about, uh, focus and uh, distraction and technology and addiction and all these you know all these books basically said the same thing. They basically all said that the problem is the tool. Get rid of the technology. Do a digital detox. Go on a thirty day plan. That's what they all said. And so I did that, and it didn't work. Mm. It didn't work for the same reason that uh, fad diets don't work. So I actually used to be clinically obese at one point in my life. Oh, I no wow. longer am. Uh, and when I was clinically obese, I would do all of these fad diets, right? Like no junk food for 30 days. Well, guess what happened on day 31? Yeah. You know, I <laughs> like eat like crazy to make up for lost time. And so fundamentally, you know, the, the, this is why fad diets don't work because we don't deal with the root cause of the problem. And the more I got into this, you know, I, I didn't, I don't like to write books that have already been written. I only write books that, that I feel nobody has written before and that answer a question that I have. I don't write books because I have the answer. I write a book because I need to find the answer. And so mm -hmm. that's why you know, it takes me a while to write a book. It took me five years to write Indistractable because I you know, tried all of these techniques and looked at all this research that you know, most of this was anecdotal stuff that didn't work. It mm -hmm. wasn't backed in science. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you know, over the past five years, I wanted to get to the root cause of the problem. Why do people really get distracted? And it's it's actually, if you think about it, it's, a, it's such an interesting question because it makes no sense, right? Why would we do things against our better interests? By the way, this is called acrasia. This was the first described by Socrates and Plato 2,500 years ago. Hmm. So this is not a new problem, right? Facebook did not invent distraction, <laughs> right? YouTube and Donald Trump and Twitter, like these people, they didn't invent the distraction. <laughs> distraction has been with us for a very, very long time. Uh, the question is, why do we do things we know we shouldn't do? Yeah. And imagine how phenomenal our life could be if everything we said we would do, we did, right? So we, we know what to do. We know how to get in shape, basically, right? We, we basically know what to do. Every diet book kind of says pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, we know how to have better relationships, be fully present with the people you're with. We know even how to do better at work. Do the work, right? <laughs> Don't get distracted. So instead of pumping out more content out there in the personal development community around here's what to do, Nobody was talking about that the real problem is not that we don't know what to do. We basically know what to do. Mm -hmm. The problem is we don't do it. 
we yeah. get off track. Yeah. And so if you ask me today what superpower I would want, I would tell you it's the power to be indistractable. And I really do believe that the world is bifurcating into two types of people. People who let their attention and behavior be manipulated by others and people who take charge of their time, attention, and behavior and become indistractable. And that's going to become even a more important skill. Because if you think the world is distracting now, oh, buddy, you know, just wait a few years, right? The world is going to become only more distracting as we have even more technology, et cetera. No kidding. Yeah. And and something that you alluded to is just kind of control, like taking control of those stimuli, taking control of the things that are around you. And, and that's kind of at the core of the book and the purpose of the book, because you're not telling people to just avoid and reject. It's to, you're telling people to learn and understand. And that's that something right? that I think that we're going to get to in a little bit, too, is kind of the intent of being indistractable is knowing what you want to do and knowing what you don't want to do. And then that's exactly choosing right. the behaviors that you want to do and the different techniques that you can do um, to take you there. And, and that's actually kind of the next area I want to jump into is uh, the word distraction is in direct contrast to the word traction. So could you elaborate a little bit on the difference between those two and how they either work together or work against each other and and how yeah how that relationship works? Yeah, yeah. And thank you for, for you know, you did a great job of summarizing kind of the key takeaway here is that you know, a lot of folks out there want to tell you that the world is black and white, good versus evil. And that's not real life, right? If you want good versus evil, go watch Star Wars. That's not the real world. Uh, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the fact is that we need these technologies. We need these tools. We can't just demonize technology. It doesn't make sense, right? We, you know, we rely upon this stuff. And, you know, we, we, it's, it's very helpful if it's used correctly. And so, of course, there are going to be negative consequences to this technological revolution, right? Uh, the philosopher Paul Virilio said that when you invent the ship, you invent the shipwreck. Uh, so we should expect that when when we have a technological revolution of the scale of the internet, that is some you know that is that is the new ship, right? That is that is the the revolution that we're seeing in our generation of, of when it comes to technological innovation. So of course, there's going to be shipwrecks, and we're dealing with those shipwrecks. So I'm not letting you know, tech companies off the hook. There's a lot of stuff that they need to fix. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to this particular issue of distraction, this is something that we need to take personal responsibility for. We just don't know how. Yeah. And so the way we start tackling this problem, and by the way, I thought Indistractable would be about tech distraction. And the more I dove into the topic, I realized it's a book about all distraction. It's about the steeper psychology of why we don't do what we do. But yeah. of course, you know, tech plays a prominent role because this is a distraction that many people today are, are struggling with. Well, well yeah, and you, you talk about how a lot of that distraction originates within yourself. Right. It's just the technology is the front for it and that there's actually an underlying, you know, almost Maslow's hierarchy of things that you're trying to achieve that then project themselves as technology. Exactly. So yeah, no, sorry, no, go that's on. That's exactly right. And, yeah. and, and so it starts with how do we define the problem? Right? We have to understand the words we're using to describe the problem so that we describe it accurately. So when we talk about distraction, what is distraction? And to understand what is distraction, we have to understand what the opposite of distraction is. So the opposite of distraction is traction. Traction is defined as any action that you do that moves you towards what you want in life. The opposite of traction is distraction. So you'll notice both words end in the same word. They both end in action. And they actually both come from the same mm -hmm. Latin root, trahara, which means to pull. So traction are things that you do that pull you towards what you want. 
distraction is anything you do that pulls you away from what you want. Powerful. So the big idea here, the reason this is so important is that this frees us from the shackles of making a moral argument that so many people make mm -hmm. around, oh, you know, Candy Crush and video games, that's bad. But, uh, you know, football on TV, that's good. Why? There's no difference. They're both, right? They're, they're, they're both just pastimes. Let me take it a step further. Going to work and saying, oh, I really need to work on this big project. And then sitting down at your desk and checking email or checking a, you know, a group chat channel or something, that is also distraction. Because one of the key points in the book is that you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it is distracting you from. How many of us have a calendar with big open white space on it? And then we get to the end of our day and we say, oh, I got so distracted today. I didn't get anything done. Well, did you define what you want to do with your time? <laughs> Most people don't, right? Two thirds of people don't keep any sort of calendar. And even the third that do keep a calendar don't keep a calendar that is time boxed. And so this is one of these techniques that has been reached. Again, I, you know, every technique that I'm going to describe to you today and that is in this book is research back. This is not personal anecdotes. You saw the, the, the appendix, right? There are hundreds of studies yep. cited. That's why this book took me so long because I didn't want to say anything unless I knew that it was backed by independent research, right? Third-party journals have, have, have uh, verified this, the, these uh, techniques. Absolutely. So you know, this uses a technique called setting an implementation intention. Uh, hundreds of studies have, have found this technique is very effective. But even if you just look around, right, if you follow C-suite executives, right, people at the C-level, overwhelmingly, you will see that these folks carry around a schedule with them on a piece of paper that time boxes every minute of their day. And so we should learn from those folks, yep. right? They, you know, that part of it is that technique helped them get to where they are. And so I think all of us need to need to keep the kind of schedules that make time for our values. Now, again, I'm not going to tell you how to spend your time. If you want to spend your time playing video games, great. You know, I'm not going to tell you not to do that if it's consistent with your values. And you do those behaviors on your schedule, not on somebody else's schedule. So that principle exactly. holds true for video games. It holds true for email. It holds true for things that your spouse, your kids – all of these things can be distractions if they take you off track from what you said you wanted to do. So it's about living with intent, with personal integrity. Uh-huh. And yeah, that that was the aha moment just when you were describing that is when you talked about Candy Crush. Candy Crush is only bad when it is not what you want to be doing. If you right. view it as something that is away from the area or purpose that you want to be spending that time or that effort – then that's when it's an issue. But if you're perfectly content with playing video games and you enjoy Candy Crush and you have a great relationship with it, then it's not a distraction. Right. So right. I, there is there is this kind of stigma about things that might not seem as productive as being distracting. But no, that's not necessarily true. It's about doing the things you want to do. And the things that seem productive, right, that we think, oh, email's kind of productive, right? That's kind of worky. Uh -huh. But actually, it could be a massive distraction. You know, I, I, it's interesting. Most people I talk to uh, in, in, you know, knowledge worker type jobs, and you ask them and you say, you know, do you think that your job requires focus? Does it require concentration? Does it require strategizing, problem solving? Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Well, is that on your calendar? Mm, hmm. No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, people will say, oh, I just expect it to happen. So I'll get to it at some point. No, it's not going to happen, right? Like we have to make time for it. So the things that we think are productive, like email, right, like meetings, can also be distractions from what we really need to do in our day. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I love, all right. So I love that distinction between just because, you know, productivity and distraction or traction, those are totally different things. So I love how you separated those, Mm -hmm. but okay. So now, so let's focus back on this distraction versus traction. And in the book, there are four ways that you can gravitate either toward traction or reduce distraction that you go into a lot of detail about. And those are to master internal triggers, to make time for traction, the time boxing we've been talking about, to hack back external triggers and to prevent distraction packs. Mm -hmm. So those were, I mean, those were mind changing. I'd love to kind of dip into each one of them. So first, master internal triggers. So when a craving originates, so just kind of to summarize, when a craving originates within yourself to do something that distracts you, it's not mind over matter. And you share a few interesting studies about how mental abstinence can actually backfire. So so Uh can you explain the steps that we can take to make or to master internal triggers? Yeah. So, so this is, uh, and just to back up. So, you know, there are lots of techniques out there. You know, everyone knows some kind of personal productivity hack to help them get more out of their day. So the idea here is to organize them in some kind of mental model, some kind of picture that we can understand how these various techniques can work together. Because what I discovered was that if you do even the right technique at the right, at the wrong time, it fails. Hmm. Because we have to do these techniques in order, starting with the internal triggers. Yes. Internal triggers are these uncomfortable emotional states that drive us to either traction or distraction. Okay. So the mental picture I want the listeners to, to, to see in their minds here is a horizontal line with two arrows in the ends, mm-hmm. right? So one arrow pointing right, one arrow pointing left. To the right is traction. We talked about traction as anything that pulls you towards what you want to do, right? These are things that you do with intent. The opposite is distraction. So on the left, the arrow is pointing towards distraction. Okay, so that's a horizontal line. Now we have a a vertical line that's bisecting the horizontal line with arrows pointing inward, okay, pointing to the horizontal line. These two lines represent our triggers. So these triggers prompt us to either traction or distraction. Now, every technique that's worth knowing around how to do what you say you're going to do, how to manage your time, how to manage your focus, how to manage your attention, every technique falls into one of those four buckets of master internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, and prevent distraction with packs. Now, again, if you use the right technique in the wrong order, it's going to fail. More more so, it's even going to backfire on you. We have to start with the most important tactic, which is to master these internal triggers. Why? Because if you get rid of all the distractions in your life, right, all the external triggers, like I did, right, I got a flip phone, I got a word processor off of eBay from 1990, uh, right, I got all, I got rid of all the technological distraction, but I still got distracted. I'd say, oh, you know, I need, I I should probably clean up my desk right now, or I should take out the trash, or there's that book I've been meaning to read. That's probably going to be helpful for work, right? And I still got distracted. Why? Because I hadn't dealt with the internal triggers. Yeah, it's more complicated than the technology. Exactly. It always is. So that's why it's so important to first start with the internal triggers. Now, let's even go a level deeper to really first principles, not just why do we get distracted? Why do we do anything? What's the core of human motivation? Now, most people will tell you that human motivation is about carrots and sticks, right? This is called Freud's pleasure principle. It's all about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. Turns out, neurologically speaking, that is not true. 
It's not about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. It's about discomfort. It's pain all the way down. That all human behavior, everything we do is about avoiding discomfort. This is called the homeostatic response. Yeah, this is something you talk about in the book too, because you, you talk about how our brains are actually neurologically hardwired to notice negativity. And, and that kind of feeds into this pattern of the, oh, the pain and negative pathways, because that right. was evolutionarily adaptive right. throughout our history. Right. And that leads, you know, it's super important because, you know, a lot of what's told to people these days uh, through the self-help uh, industrial complex is that you're always supposed to be happy, right? <laughs> hey, that's me, man. Right. If that's you're not me. satisfied, something's broken with you. And I'm here to tell you that is rubbish. We are evolved to be perpetually perturbed. Hmm. Being uncomfortable makes us do stuff. It makes us do everything. It can help. It can make us do some bad things like getting distracted, like seeking escape, but can also drive us to do great things, right? Create life-saving medicine, new technologies, overturning despots, reaching for the, the stars, exploring the heavens, right? All of these things we do because we are uncomfortable. We want more. And if we mm -hmm. channel that power correctly, we can, it can help us. And if we don't know how to channel it, it can hurt us. So the, the big takeaway here is that if all human behavior is motivated by a desire to escape discomfort, that means that time management is pain management. And so we have mm. to learn how to manage these internal triggers, these uncomfortable emotional states to make us better, to make sure that we, we respond to them in a healthier manner. And so that's kind of the strategy. You know, strat tactics without strategy are meaningless. I can give you, okay, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do this. But if you don't understand why those things are important, you'll go off track. And you're not going to find the things that I don't know, right? I, I'm not God. I don't know everything in the world. You might have tactics that you come up with that you can figure out based on this strategy. So tactics are what we do. Strategy is why we do it. And it's much more important to understand the strategy, the four fundamental elements of this indistractable model, uh, than it is just you know one-off tactics here and there. Although we can talk to, about tactics ad nauseum. You, you read the book. There are tons and tons of tactics you can use as well. Right, right. And that's and that's kind of what I was going to get, get into with the, you know, master internal triggers, kind of the the process that you propose is to disarm the temptation, find emotion, the, you know, the emotion preceding the distraction, you write down an internal trigger, and then you explore the negative sensation with curiosity. So you kind of just like really calling out that entire process at face value. And you have a bunch of great examples that talk right. about and, um, how that all comes so basically, together. You know, if I had to summarize how to master internal triggers, you basically have two big choices, two, two forks in the road, or sorry, one fork in the road with two choices. You can either fix the source of the problem, right? Whatever's causing that internal trigger to arise. Yep. And, and that's why there's a section in the book about how to build an indistractable workplace, how to have indistractable relationships, how to raise indistractable kids, because these things affect our environment, right? Your workplace can be very distracting. It can create a culture of distraction. So that might not be fully in your control. You might have to fix the problem in order to stop the source of all this discomfort. So you can either fix the source of the problem or, you know, some things you just can't fix in life. These uncomfortable sensations, we can't escape them all. It's just part of being a human being. And in that case, the idea is to learn to cope with discomfort in a healthier manner. And so there you have three potential choices. You can either reimagine the trigger, reimagine the task, or reimagine our temperament. And that's where it gets very tactical. Okay, how do I do that? How do I, you know, that that's right. where it gets into more tactical mode. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I encourage everyone to read the book because if you if you 
experience any of those issues and maybe something works better for you in your past experience. It does go into a lot of detail about exactly how this could work for you. So yeah, so first, okay, master internal triggers. Now let's move on to making time for traction. We've been alluding to this and I would love to dive into a little bit more, this kind of idea of time boxing. So I uh, actually, could you start with the example of um, the rumination that you experienced while trying to sleep and how time boxing yeah. applied there? Because I thought that was the most interesting two pages. Oh, good. Of the book. That was <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. It's funny. Everybody has their own favorite sections based on how they, they uh, you know, what yep. they need. And what. Have you struggled with, with uh, sleeplessness? No, but that example just made it all come full circle because it, it, I mean, you'll get into it, but just kind of realizing how out of control the outcome yeah. is, all you can really designed for is the input yeah, and that was just a perfect example because so many people i, I gotta get you to start teaching like this stuff because you, you you've got it down this is great <laughs> i love hearing <laughs> i it. love it dude yeah, I, so, I eat it up <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome. so here's here's where this insight came from so okay so i tell folks step number one is to master these internal triggers because if you don't figure out how to cope with discomfort that starts within you right distraction starts from within sure if you don't learn how to cope with it you're going to get always distracted by something so that's the first step the second step is to make time for traction to turn your values into time if i looked at your calendar and i didn't know you i should be able to see what's important to you in your life okay mm -hmm. but most people what's important to them on their calendar is just blank white space they don't plan ahead and of course in this day and age with technology as persuasive and pervasive as it is if you don't plan your day somebody's going to eat it, eat up that day for you. Somebody's going to eat up your attention if you are not intentional about, uh, about uh, you know, claiming that time to do what you want to do. So then the question I get is, okay, great. Well, I plan my day and I needed to get all these tasks done, right? I wrote all these things on my to-do list and I didn't get them done. Yep. Why is that? Didn't I, didn't I put down everything on my to-do list? Isn't that the magic recipe that that's supposed to help us get things done, put everything on a to-do list? It's not enough. And the reason it's not enough is, is very simple because what you want to do every day, what you put on your to-do list is the output. Mm -hmm. It's not the input. And if you think about it, it's ridiculous, right? If you, if, if you say, uh, you know, I, I want to be a baker and I want to make a million loaves of bread every day and I'm going to sell them for millions of dollars and I'll be rich. It'll be terrific. Okay, great. That's the output. What's the input? Well, the input is, do you have a factory? Do you have supplies coming in? Do you have workers? Do you have all the stuff, the inputs? that go into making the outputs. Yep. That's very basic, obviously. But when it comes to our output on a daily basis, nobody considers the inputs. Right. The one input that we have control over is our time. So we have to prioritize the inputs, not the outputs. Sometimes that means we may not be able to get out what we expect, right? So mm -hmm. for example, with this sleep example, Okay, I put time on my calendar to go to bed every night, 10 p.m. That's my bedtime. Uh, and there's lots of things I did to protect that, the other steps of the model as well. But sure. I put that time on my calendar. And then I would wake up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. And I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> and yeah. so I did what a lot of people do. I freaked out. <laughs> and I, you know, would ruminate on, oh, I'm not getting enough sleep and yep. uh, I, I probably got insomnia. I should probably go see a doctor about this. I'm going to be all groggy tomorrow. I'm not going to be able to give that talk I have to give. All my, you know, my writing is shot for the day. And I'd ruminate and ruminate and ruminate. And guess what? Turns out the number one cause of insomnia <laughs> is worrying about insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I do instead. What I did instead was to tell myself this mantra. Every time I wake up in the middle of the night, I repeat this mantra to myself. 
the body gets what the body needs. And if my body needs rest, it'll fall asleep, right? And so here's what happened. When I repeated that mantra, I started to relax. I stopped ruminating. And you know what I'm going to say next. I fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is a, it's a great metaphor for you know, creative output. That the number one reason people don't get done what they wanted to get to get done. The reason they're, you know, I, I can't sit at my desk every day and say, okay, today I would like to write a Pulitzer Prize winning piece. I can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. But I will never write a great piece of content if I don't put my butt in this chair and work. Right. And so the input, the reason most people don't accomplish their goals is because they haven't allocated the time to do what it is they wanted to do. If I didn't go to bed on time, for sure I would not get enough sleep. Right. So my job was to show up, and that's all of our jobs. If there's one defining trait of people who succeed in life versus those who fail, it's the difference between people who do what they say they're going to do, people who show up and are dependable and reliable and have personal integrity, not just to others, but personal integrity to themselves. Those are the people who succeed. So control the inputs, not the outcomes. The outcomes will take care of themselves. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, and I love that example because it really just it, it simplifies it so much in terms of this is the issue, this is how I was approaching it, this is how you know time boxing or this concept of dedicating time to something changed my approach to it, and this is how it changed the outcome. So it's almost like a, you know, it is just directly an input output question, and I love that. And so okay, so you also kind of elaborate later in this chapter and in this part, and what you alluded to and how you realized that you were distracted is that you can also manage relationships with time boxing. So instead of missing that moment with your daughter, like you described earlier, you then began uh, an activity jar with her so that you make sure that you have time with her and you don't miss those important moments. So there's a lot of other ways to kind of make time for traction in other parts of your life that I, again, encourage everyone to go through in the book themselves. Yeah, thank All you. Right. Yeah, there's a lot. I wish I wish we could talk about this for hours and hours. There's so many tactics. <laughs> I know. We're I know. just scratching the surface. I know, and that's the kind of thing where yeah, I'm going to go back through those tactics, and I'll I'll be able to repurpose them for the audience in my own way. So they they will be heard. Okay, uh, terrific, sure. Terrific. They will be heard. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, and then next is hacking back external triggers. And I thought this was so fascinating. Talk about tactics. This is where you go into so many different techniques and resources and websites and blah, blah, blah. Like there's so much mm. that just dense material here and be like, try this, try this, try this. And right, right. I haven't gotten around to too much of that yet. But, <laughs> yeah, so that, but that's let, the let, most let, tactical section of the book because it's pretty easy absolutely. to understand, right? So external triggers, this is what most people think about when they think about managing distraction. It's about removing the pings, dings, rings, all of these things that prompt us towards dis- distraction. Now, by the way, External triggers are not necessarily bad, right? If an external trigger from your phone tells you, hey, it's time to exercise or it's time for that meeting or whatever it might be, if it's something you intended to do with your time, then it's traction. It's not distraction. Yeah, going back to Candy Crush. Like if you want to play and you have a notification to play Candy Crush, that's not distracting. Like it's it's a positive external trigger. Using it as an escape from an uncomfortable reality, right, per the internal triggers. If you have time on it for it in your schedule, then go for it. It's not necessarily a, a harmful inter, uh, external trigger. So the, the question we have to ask when it comes to any external trigger, and we're not just talking about technology, you know, external triggers can come in the form, probably the most pernicious and most common external trigger that, that leads us to distraction is workplace interruptions 
right? No. The open yeah. floor plan office. Oh, it's, you know, yeah. it has done so much to destroy focus and concentration in, in, in corporate America. This, this open floor plan office where people can just, you know, you know, glance at you. They don't even have to interrupt you. They just have to look at you from across the room. And now you feel obliged to stop working and, and, you know, to go off task. Right. So, you know, all of these things can be interruptions. Anything, any external trigger that takes you off track uh, can lead towards distraction. So the so so what is it about society today that makes external triggers so distracting? Like, is there kind of one commonality between people and technology and just these things that we live around that bring us back to being distracted? Well, it, d- it depends on on the context. Uh, when it comes to our technology, certainly the fact that we carry around these devices with us at all times means that we have greater access to distraction, right? Hmm. Why? If it's in your pocket, it's kind of, it's you know the pings, dings, and rings can lead you off track. Uh, the open floor plan office, I think, is another great example. You know, the, the, it was considered a great technological innovation that you could you know tear down the walls and and uh, and have these big o- open floor plan offices. Now, of course, it comes at a cost as well. So I tell you in this section of the book how to deal with these external triggers in various domains of your life. Right? How do you hack back the external triggers on your phone? on your computer, yep. in the workplace, in meetings. Oh my God, how great would it be if we had yep. indistractable meetings, right? So there's all of these areas, all of these these environments where uh, external triggers can take us off track. We have to tick them off one by one by one. The good news is that it, it, there are some very tactical steps that we can take. I mean, it, it you know took me about you know 45 minutes and now I have a phone that no longer distracts me. Right. right. It's not that and again, it goes. It kind of goes back to time boxing because you have the intention to make that change. You know, you allocate the time, being like, "Oh, this is something I prioritize, and I'm making a change around this." And that's when you change the format of your, you know, the, your well, that, screen. Well, that's why it has so to that, come first. That, that, that's why we have to follow these steps in order or else they're going to backfire. I didn't realize this was all in order. That's so interesting to me because when I was reading the book, I was like, I know that they all tie together, but like hearing the order of how these different elements interact with each other is kind of creating a larger, you know, kind of better mental model for me as I'm awesome. understanding these yeah. concepts even deeper. But okay, so now we're we're on the last part of it. So part four, prevent yes. distractions with packs. And and this is all about, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's all about making pre-commitments. So helping us act on our true, unemotional, right. unbiased intentions. And when I read it, it really helped me understand a few ways that I optimize my habits. You know, for example, um, I'm, I've been making pre-commitments without even knowing it. Like I have a personal development podcast and the podcast holds me accountable to personal development. So it's like I almost have this pact with mm. myself, this identity pact that that I am a yes. a personal development person, and it's it just it's 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 crazy how that promise to yourself and that commitment to the person that you want to be ends up manifesting yeah. in positive behavior, which which brings you toward traction. And I think that's what this is all. I mean, preventing distractions is all about also encouraging traction. Totally. So, so, so you you you've jumped ahead a little bit to to the 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 meat and potatoes here of how to use this, but to, to go back to that diagram that I tried to, to paint in, in everyone's mind here. So right. you, know, you have traction to the right, you have distraction to the left, you have external triggers and internal triggers pointing into bisecting the, the horizontal line. So now we're on the fourth step. We're on the step of, of preventing distraction with packs. Now, the other three steps are about, you know, keeping distraction out. Uh, this last step is about keeping yourself in. Okay. okay. Now, this step is dangerous, meaning if you jump the gun and you go straight to taking one of these pre-commitments 
it can backfire. It can okay. backfire badly so? <laughs> because what happens is if you don't first master the internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back the external triggers, it's going to be very hard to do what you say you're going to do if you enter one of these pre-commitments. So if you take a, there are three types of, of, of packs, effort packs, price packs, and identity packs. And if you enter into one of these packs before you've done the other three steps, it's going to be very, very hard to, to live up to those pre-commitments, to live up to those packs. But now there's a cost associated with it, a psychological and sometimes a, a fiscal cost to- uh, In to, your case, uh, yep. Exactly, to, to breaking some of these packs. So we really want to make sure we do the, the other three steps first, it, because it, when people fail at one of these pre-commitments, some people can take it really hard and can actually backpedal. They can actually, you know, it can backfire. So really make sure you do those three steps first. But after you've done those other three steps first, you can enter into these effort packs, these price packs, these identity packs to help make sure that you don't do what it is you don't want to do. So they, they keep you in as opposed to just keeping distraction out. And so the, the way they work, so an effort pact puts a bit of effort in between you and the thing you don't want to do. So for example, uh, I have this little app on my phone called Forest. And every time I do any writing, and writing is hard, I constantly get distracted. I want to get distracted, I should say, when I'm writing. And when I reach for my phone and say, oh, let me just check an email real quick or whatever while I'm writing, uh, I look at this app called Forest, which I've opened and dialed in how much time I want to do focused work for. And that little app plants a virtual tree on my screen. And if I open, if I take my phone and try and do anything else with it, that little virtual tree dies. <laughs> it's just a stupid little virtual tree, right? It's meaningless, but it's an yeah. effort pack that, to remind me that, oh, this is something that you promised yourself you wouldn't do. Brilliant. And if you break that promise, you know, th there's a little bit of effort associated with it. You have to close, you know, you have to push a bunch of buttons to close the app. Mm -hmm. And it just inflicts a bit of effort to try and prevent that thing that you don't want to do. You know, what? that reminds me of Atomic Habits by James Clear. He talks about he talks about the ease of a new habit as being something that you can help um, use to incorporate it. But then the opposite argument that he makes is making a difficult habit or a, a negative habit yeah. more difficult to achieve. Do you remember so he actually cites he he uh, mentions my, me yeah in the book yeah the, the what I do and I, I talk about this indistractable as well about how I use this outlet yep. timer. Uh, yeah. that's, that's the story he mentioned in Atomic Habits. I meant um, to bring that up to you, yeah, because it was just total that came across. I was like, my yeah. man here, he did it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, I use this outlet timer that turns off my internet router every night. Right. Uh, and so James really liked that idea. That's an example of, of how you can use an effort pack, right? I could clearly unplug the internet router uh, and, and, you know, plug it back in so that I could use it. But again, it, it puts some effort in between what I, what I don't want to do. Right. So mm -hmm. that makes it a little bit more difficult, it makes me stop for a minute and be mindful of my behavior as opposed to doing it mindlessly. Uh, sure. so that's the effort pact. A price pact is price pact. some kind of cost, right? Some kind of monetary disincentive to, to go off track. Uh, and then an identity pact, which is what you mentioned, which is actually the most powerful of the three, is when we build some kind of moniker around the way we see ourselves. Because look, the fact is, identity change is behavior change. So if you can see yourself differently, that will affect your behavior. And you know, there's a joke that says, how do you know someone's a vegan? Don't worry, they'll, they'll tell, tell you. you. <laughs> right? And you can, you yeah. can put, substitute anything there. You can substitute keto or marine or Hare Krishna or whatever you want. When someone has a very important identity to themselves, they will tell other people about it. So the interesting thing here is that when we have a strong identity, it actually 
makes willpower unnecessary. So mm-hmm. when you think about uh, you know, a vegan, they're not struggling every day to say, hmm, should I have some bacon today? I wonder. No. A devout right. Muslim doesn't say, hmm, I wonder if I should have some alcohol. Uh, right. So the, the, you know, the, when you have an identity that you want to conform to, it makes willpower a lot less necessary. It has to be, of right. course, very meaningful to you. But yeah, that's something I've talked about on the podcast yeah. before of instead of saying like, oh, I don't want to do something, you say, no, I don't exactly. do something. And that, exactly. that creates an identity behind it. Yeah, and that yep. simple change in language it ha- it has been shown in, in studies to be incredibly empowering. So that's Absolutely. why I titled the book Indistractable is because I want people to have this moniker. I want people to be able to explain, hey, why do you do these slightly weird things? Why don't you answer text right away, right? Why do you put this uh, – why do you take these steps uh, that are kind of strange that other people don't do? Uh, why are you so productive, <laughs> right? Well, here's why, because I am indistractable. I'm the kind of person who lives with personal integrity. I do what I say I'm going to do. I am indistractable. I am indistractable also. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. And and again, I mean, we're, we're only t- touched on kind of the surface level of the basic concepts and logic behind the book, but the, the examples and the details and the studies that you go into, like really, and like you said, it's very vetted. It goes into a very clear and deeply rooted picture of how all of these things work together and create an indistractable human. So I, I there, there's something that I'm really excited to incorporate. You know, I've been so busy reading the book and rereading it that- I haven't gotten to putting it into practice yet. And that's kind of the last part of it too is, you know, you you reference in the workplace with relationships, you know, there are different applications of these principles that that then are extremely impactful in the way that you spend your time and how you can spend your time with others as well. So that, that's something we're not even going to touch on right now. I'm going to leave that as uh, you're, you're going to have to read the book to hear about some of those, even though you referenced them, but coming full circle. So we've covered a big portion of the book, but not all of it. What is that main purpose? Again, just indistractable. What's the one takeaway that people should receive after reading it? The one biggest takeaway, if I have to boil it down, is to look for the root cause of our problems, not the proximate cause. Mm -hmm. That it's very easy to look at the surface But when you dig deeper, you realize that you can't solve the problem unless you know what's really going on. And when you get to the root cause, what what I found was that we are much more powerful than we think. That as powerful as these big tech companies are, as amazing as their algorithms and artificial intelligence or whatever else they're using on us, let me tell you, we are way more powerful unless we believe that we're not. (laughs) If we tell ourselves that these products are addicting us, that they're hijacking our brains, that there's nothing we can do, it becomes true. It's called learned helplessness. Uh, So ironically, when we believe this nonsense that it's addicting us, that it's hijacking our brain, we are giving these companies more power and more credit than they deserve. We all have the power to become indistractable. We just need to know what to do. I love that. Yeah. And I, I love ending on learned helplessness because that that explains the exact reason why mastering internal triggers, making time for traction, hacking back external triggers and preventing distraction with packs, why that all works is because it directly interfaces with that f- sensation of learned helplessness. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exactly. And so 
it, it, it's really about believing uh, and changing your mindset. Changing, I talk about that in one of the chapters of the book, the, the reimagining your temperament on how mm-hmm. we, if we believe that we're incapable, we become incapable. <laughs> yep. And so I'm living proof that uh, we, anybody can become indistractable. You are the man. I absolutely adore your work. I'm so fortunate to have taken an extra moment to learn it in a little bit more detail. And I'm very privileged to get to share it with some other people. So my pleasure. Thank you. It means it means the world to me that you found it helpful. I really appreciate the the feedback. And I am far from the only person that will find it helpful. I learned a ton and I can't wait to see this change people's lives just like it changed mine. Thank you so much, Brian. Great talking to you. Absolutely brilliant. The philosophy is so comprehensive, and I'll quickly summarize the highlights. In order to avoid distraction, we need to realize what we're getting distracted from. The first thing we need to do is manage internal triggers and get right down to the root of our priorities and intentions. Then we need to make time for traction and specifically allocate time for the things that are important in our lives. Then, we need to hack back external triggers and get rid of all of the distracting pings, dings, rings in our environment. And last, we need to prevent distractions with packs, which adds a little accountability to the process and gets us to continue doing what we want to be doing. This is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the secret of how we all can become indistractable. I've already read through the book twice. It was extremely easy to read, and Nier did a great job of using relatable and even personal examples to make the points clear. Just having a baseline understanding of the nature of my distractions has already brought so much awareness to things that unnecessarily distract me, and I've become more productive as a result. You can too if you read this book, launching in just a few days on Amazon, but I think it's already available on Audible. I'm not getting paid to promote this. I advocate for it because I believe in it. Indistractable will blow your mind. Thanks for listening today. And may we all step into this world a little more indistractable. I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.